Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app bonus episode everybody we hit 105 star ratings on itunes we did it thank you very much keep it coming there's going to be more bonus episodes Uh, in the future as we hit more milestones like that. So if you haven't done it already, please rate and review um, both this podcast and my album, My Big Break, and I'll keep on releasing bonus episodes for you. And for now, enjoy some drug talk with ASU's Foster Olive. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. Misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, my guest is Foster Olive. This is my this is my last day here at ASU. It's been a, a wonderful trip. Um, started last Thursday, and this is. Uh, the eighth, uh, no, ninth episode. I've never done this many. This is uh, real exciting. And uh, today, um, I'm talking with he's the associate professor in the Department of Psychology with a concentration on behavioral neuroscience here at ASU. So, thank you, Foster Olive, mm, for you. joining me. Thank you for having me and for your time. And um, and so that whole title um, may have sounded. Uh, interesting to some people, but what's going to sound way more interesting to a lot of people right. is that you study drugs. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Study them in other people, not myself. So, yeah. So, uh, um, oh, so you actually study them on? on well, do you test on people? No, no you no. test on like uh, rats and stuff, right? We, we do some. Uh, we do some stuff in uh, like cultured cells. I'm not cultured cells, sorry, but like some. Kind of, uh, I guess, what you would call. Um, as you can probably edit this out. <laughs> uh, we do we do some uh, what are called preclinical models, which is essentially you know a rodent model, uh, rats, lab rats, lab mice, um, and you know once in a while we be able to do like you know cells growing in a dish, you know uh, mm. that kind of stuff. So yeah, so we actually, I mean, I do some remotely related certain projects involving humans, uh, usually clinical trials, but uh, a lot of times those are require an MD, uh, uh, and running, you know, doing, uh, uh, types of, uh, pharmaceutical work with, uh, testing in in humans that involves, uh, usually MDs. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a true. Well, one, you, in my mind, it seems like you have the luckiest rats. Yeah. Yes. You have the party rats. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All the other ones are getting poked and prodded and, uh, and right. are wearing makeup and right, everything right. else. And your yours get, yours get to party. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Instead yeah. of like uh, artificially giving them cancer or something right, right, like exactly, that. They yeah. get to just have fun all day. Right. Um, yeah. it, you know, uh, 
it's interesting. I remember, I remember years ago I, when I was in Boston and I was real broke and uh, I was I was doing a lot of um, side jobs and things. I, I was getting stuff off of Craigslist, and mm-hmm. I remember I was looking through like medical studies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I remember this one. It was like, come in for eight visits. We give you cocaine and scan your brain, yes. like $300 yeah. or something like right. that. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. It's like, wow, I better yeah. call that up for that yeah. dream job. I don't have all $300, yeah. right? Oh, you pay me the 300 right. Oh, wow. Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah, some of those human laboratory studies are pretty amazing that they're able to get these. A lot of, most of the times they're people with an existing problem, you know, oh, they go okay. in and they don't just recruit, you know, normal people off the street. Hey, come on to try some cocaine. Oh, uh, that's know. a bummer. Yeah. That's like, oh. a, <laughs> because yeah. it's like, well, now if I want to be in this study, I got to get make my life horrible right, first. Right, right. I can't just yeah. like, hey, I just. <laughs> yeah, I, I have known people who, who have basically paid their way to college volunteering for for studies, you know, that pay for various things, you know, get, you know, electrodes hooked up to their scalp or whatever, you know, a couple hundred bucks at a time. And Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought about, I, I did one study on alcohol mm-hmm. addiction, which I was, we can talk about, mm-hmm. uh, I used to be a raging alcoholic mm-hmm. and uh, I, I used to be a chain smoker mm-hmm. as well. Um, I am currently on some painkillers because I broke my feet last year. Mm -hmm. I'm on a cane Mm -hmm. still. And I've done almost every drug under the sun other than uh, I haven't done heroin and I haven't done crystal meth. Here I am in Arizona. And I didn't even partake yeah. in in the uh, right. in the modern culture. But well, there's still time. <laughs> <laughs> Not condoning that. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, of yeah. course, uh, obviously. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no one's no one reasonable has ever condoned crystal meth. Right, so I right. think everyone's assuming that, right, right. That, that the disclaimer is yeah. already uh, right. artificially out there right. <laughs> for listeners. We're mi- we might make a few jokes. Yes. along the way right. but uh right. it's obviously some dangerous stuff right. right um so i um am just now like over the last year or so have been trying to learn some neuroscience and it is uh incredibly complicated <laughs> yep. from what i can tell right, right. and um and it can sometimes be real jargony and a yes. little bit hard to memorize all the specific areas. I, and I remember um, uh, some podcasts a while back. I was trying to, we were talking about um, um, uh, paleo diets and, and possible um, food addictions. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to regurgitate some of my knowledge from a, a neuroscience class um, that I had taken um uh, online actually we were talking uh, robert sapolsky yes. we were talking about before that right um and uh and i started in on it and then i was like oh no yeah, <laughs> I, right, I forgot right. everything yeah. i was trying to talk about how glutamate mm-hmm. uh leads to learning yes. its role in learning right and I ended up. I said glucose, I believe, and I, which is like a big player right. in the in the brain, uh, of course. Sugar, too. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, and and so, so it, it's uh, it can be some complicated stuff. And this is something that, um, so I haven't had um, a whole lot of neuroscience on this podcast mm-hmm. yet. So maybe mm-hmm. what would be best is if you could set up some fundamental... Let's assume that um, a listener isn't going to know the difference between an axon and an dendrite. Right. And, um, and maybe set up uh, some fundamentals, and then we can get into uh, what you do. Right. Okay. Yeah, so uh, kind of neuroscience 101 uh, would be... You want to think about a neuron, you know, that's basically a, a sender and receiver of information. It's got this little, uh, these things called dendrites, which are, it's, you know, it's a cell that's got kind of a tree-like structure. Um, they are called, that's why they call uh, their uh, dendrites. They, uh, it's kind of a, a tree-oriented or tree-related name um, that they receive lots and lots of inputs, you know, sometimes up to 10,000 inputs from other neurons. And then they funnel all that information, process that information, and they send the message out to wherever its target might be. It might be a muscle. It might be another set of uh, neurons. It might be 
you know, a lot of things. And that is through an axon, and then the axons generally tend to uh, have little terminals where they release their chemicals, uh, which are the primary messengers in the brain, these little things I've heard, like probably like dopamine and serotonin, glutamate, things like that. They're little chemical messengers that then go and act upon the uh, whatever the target cell is. Because these neurons, they're not actually connected. They're no. not actually touching one another. Uh, for the most part, no. But yeah, there are some that, that do. But right. uh, there are mostly, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they are because they are within a few nanometers of each other. So it's about as close as you can get without touching yeah right so but yeah they, it's called something called chemical transmission where essentially instead of a signal that is more or less electrical in nature and it gets to the end of their axons and they actually release chemicals to do do the signaling okay so it's more like uh um you know, you can think of them kind of like, uh, you know, your remote control for your TV. You know, the neuron is essentially sending a signal out and trying to hit something that is uh, going to receive that signal, which would be, I almost said VCR, but no one has those anymore. <laughs> but DVD player, Apple TV, whatever it might be. No uh, one has DVD players yeah. anymore. Okay, well, yeah, so <laughs> no, we're even past that now. Um that it's got to pick up a signal, right? And then so, and it's got to be selective for the type of signal. I mean, are you pushing the fast forward button? Are you pushing the channel changing button? So different, I mean, that's usually done by infrared or radio frequency type signals. And the same idea is that the neuron sends out specific information that is picked up by the next neuron or whatever the target might be. So. Hmm. And some of these neurotransmitters, it's almost like a lock and key yeah. mechanism, like some of the neurotransmitters, the chemicals that are put out have a particular shape. Yes. And then they bond to Yeah, they bind to a protein, a receptor, which is essentially like the receiver on your Apple TV or something that's picking up the signal, and it's specific for that chemical. It doesn't just pick up any chemical. It picks up one that's specific. So it is kind of like the keyhole, essentially for that that lock and key thing so, okay yeah and um and so so what's all this have to do with how i got myself addicted to cigarettes for 16 years okay. <laughs> all right well one of the mainstream theories that may or may not be correct is that um there is a, a chemical in the brain called dopamine that people talk about quite a lot and if you hear news stories on it you basically say that people take drugs and it causes the brain to release produce and release dopamine and that is the pleasure chemical well that's a vast oversimplification i mean anything studying about the brain you know that it's nothing is quite that simple uh everything is quite more convoluted so it well there's isn't there like the the with between the number of neurons and the numbers of possible like uh uh, connections. There's like there's more possible connections in the brain than there are like atoms in the universe right, or right. something yeah. insane yeah. like that. Yeah, you look at the hundred billion neurons and potentially uh, you know ten thousand connections between each one. You know, <laughs> it's just an, and all kind of segregated out into different regions. It's pretty phenomenal. So to pin addiction uh, and things like that on one chemical being released by you know a certain type of neuron is a little bit oversimplistic and all and also <laughs> some of these things what dopamine's doing in one part of the brain right. and what dopamine's doing in another part of the brain right. can be two completely exactly. different exactly exactly and some of the things that cause i mean they, most drugs cause this dopamine levels to go up but then again so does stress for example and most people don't find stress addictive so <laughs> it's kind of like uh it's the, the theory is kind of being slowly revised i think maybe it's an attention getter or uh, something that kind of cues you in and say, hey, this is important right now. Think, pay attention to it type of thing. So um, so that's, uh, y you know, you'll hear about it on the news. Like, oh, you know, the drugs are addictive. Weed is addictive because it, you know, it produces dopamine or things like that. And really it's not quite that simple, you know. I mean, if it were that simple, we probably would have figured out the problem by now. And <laughs> how do you even, what do you even classify an addiction? Yeah. Because there's so much gray area right. there. Right. It's like, yeah. I, I know I was addicted to cigarettes. Right. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, I ha I definitely had like a psychological addiction to alcohol, but I never got like the shakes or anything right. like that, the right. physical side of yeah. it necessarily. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, I might be addicted to coffee. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It's not, yeah. I'm not losing a, a work over yeah. it or right. anything like yeah. that. Yeah. But. Well, that's, that's a good question because there's, uh, you know, what is the definition of addiction? Addiction is something you can't live without. Uh, I mean, you can, we're addicted to water and oxygen for that matter. You know, you take it away from us, we pretty much go into a serious crisis and um, same with coffee or, you know, things like that. So the definition of addiction is if, if you take it away, the person becomes profoundly, you know, upset, dysphoric, you know, feels miserable. Well, that might be an addiction. Um, there is a, there is, there, or at least there used to be a big divide between what is psychological addiction or psychological dependence versus physical dependence, you know. The, so most people consider them kind of two separate things, but I don't know if, I think it's kind of generally accepted now that it's, they're really kind of, they kind of fuse together. Mm, and that's in interesting. And in, yeah, and in fact that, you know, you could be, in order to be physically dependent on something, you're more than likely going to be psychologically dependent on it. And that's kind of the... And perhaps vice versa. Um, well, this seems like a lot of just in general, not even just talking about addiction, but right. it seems like a, a, a lot of stuff is gearing toward um, kind of a, a lot more of a mind-body connection right. Right. Than, than the way that it was for a while. Right. That used to be your brain, and then you had your body, right. and those are right. two different things. Yeah, everybody kind of believed that the brain was this kind of separate, you know, vague entity that was... You know, if something biological, then, well, it didn't really affect the brain. That was more psychological. And, well, I mean, the brain is a biological organ, so it's kind of hard to separate it out from, you know, psychology versus biology. And that may be one reason they've done away with, uh, or one of the reasons they've done away with uh, kind of a definition of addiction being, um, they used to classify it either you're, a, you're, a, you're abusing drugs or you're addicted to drugs. So there was drug abuse and drug dependence. And it really became, okay, what's the difference between abusing a drug and what's being addicted? So is it really a, was it a pattern of use? I mean, do you, if you are abusing drugs, more than likely maybe you're going out and party on Friday, Saturday night um, and drinking a lot and getting hungover. That was considered abuse. But, you know, that can lead to dependence, but not in everybody. So it's, it became kind of a gray area. How do you separate who's abusing a drug versus actually addicting a drug? Yeah, yeah. because, or I mean, you think about it, yeah. and pretty much yeah. everyone's had a wild right. night or right. something. And right. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, you think of something like um, cocaine, yeah. for example, right. which I've done and never, I was like, I didn't. I don't get it. Right. I don't understand why people would get addicted to that. Right. I'm sure a lot of people yeah. have had the same similar experience. And then a lot of people can have a couple beers or yeah. whatever, yeah. or even no. get wasted a few nights, and right. they never have to right. end up doing it every day or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I think that's the, one of the great mysteries is, is that how is it that the vast majority of people who can take an, a drug, even if it's like meth or crack cocaine, which maybe carry a higher risk, but um, how is it that people can drink like excuse my terminology drink like fish throughout throughout college mm. and then never become an alcoholic um you know the vast min minority of people become have abuse problems it's really the uh the majority of people are resilient to it and we right. don't really know why that is what makes one person be susceptible and go down a road where they just can't get themselves out of versus other people who can just do it at will and then stop any time you know it's uh it's a tricky thing, and there must be some sort of uh, maybe a genetic susceptibility, maybe uh, an environmental, you know, upbringing, you know, your your history of, you know, previous drug use or your family upbringing, uh, your, you know, socioeconomic status, all that kind of stuff feeds into this very complex thing that actually what makes somebody susceptible to addiction. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of important to understand it, too, from, from that um from that level, uh, that just that how how salient addiction is, right. and like the idea, the image of the drug addict, right? But that isn't the reality of like the majority of right. of what's going on, and yeah. to understand it, like obviously, no one would say, "Hey, go and do crack." Right. <laughs> like nobody in right. the world is saying that, well, except, but, the, except the crack dealer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. except the so, crack dealer. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, if you were to smoke crack mm -hmm. one time, it probably does take more than that for yeah. your average person for addiction to take right. place right and, and and so what what's happening you know, what, like it, yeah. how how is it what's the process yeah so it, it's a good point and there's a lot of you know quote unquote psychological factors that go into it um 
yeah, environmental factors, but from a brain neuroscience type perspective, um, kind of what's believed to happen is when you repeatedly use a drug, you know, over and over and over, um, not so much maybe on weekends only, but maybe like every day, you get to a point where you're using a drug of every day. Um, the ability of the brain to kind of, uh, what do I want to say, kind of, you know, intervene and say, hey, you know, you're, you're what's kind of called your executive control center, essentially, that, you know, chronic drug use leads to, the, like, basically a, a, a hampering of the ability of the brain to say, okay, stop, you know, you, this needs to stop. Um, the analogy I like to use is that, um, like HIV, for example, HIV is a virus that infects the immune system, which is the very biological system that was designed to protect us from viruses. Um, and drug addiction is a bit like that because drugs th that are addictive tend to kind of uh, uh, mess up parts of the brain that are involved in making proper decisions and you know keeping on a you know straight trajectory. And um, so, really. The main, the the, re, you know, the part of the brain that really is supposed to keep us on track is the one that gets messed up by drugs, and of course it messes up lots of regions uh, of the brain. But you know, one of the main ones it does is, is we just lose kind of a the, our cognitive ability to kind of self-regulate ourselves, and it, you know, the drug becomes more important than what used to be, you know, normal everyday activities. Uh, so it kind of uh, what the, what the ter term is using is it kind of it hijacks maybe I've heard of this, the hijacks the brain reward center. So mm. normally things that we are supposed to as upright citizens, you know, whether it's parenting or, you know, nurturing others, um, you know, even, you know, food, uh, you know, th things like that, things that are naturally rewarding are supposed to um, be the main driving behaviors that or main forces that drive our behavior. Drugs then intervene and then they become the main thing. They, 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 they act on the same quote-unquote reward circuit in the brain but then they become the you know the pilot they become you know that's the main thing that the person um is driven by is these drugs that becomes much more important than you know seeing family spending time with friends whatever it might be and uh, is this just kind of part of learning like how the yeah. brain learns yes yeah and this yeah. Is, so this is just learned behavior yeah yeah I mean. yeah it is learned behavior and it becomes uh a term i like to use is overlearned right we are essentially you if you're lighting up a cigarette and you get it you do it when you get in your car and you do that day after day after day it becomes a compulsive habit and mm -hmm. it that's a form of learning i mean you just like riding a bike you learned at one point it took a, you know active effort but now you can do it without any problem whatsoever and then that becomes and it's very much triggered by routines and cues you know you get in your car you start driving to work you light up a cigarette for example or you you know you have you get home from work you have a couple glasses of wine and it just becomes a kind of a ritual and that ritual becomes almost like an unconscious type of ritual so it, but it, you're right it is a learned type of behavior and could you just uh, maybe um, briefly or, or however yeah. you want to set it up it doesn't have to be briefly um, talk about how that learning process works right. in the brain okay. uh, since since we've already set up yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. neuroscience right. ideas right yeah so learning it, it was more or less been confirmed now but it was long time it was like how do uh, you know we kind of believe that our brains were hardwired you know they essentially once we're adults our brains are hardwired all the connections are what they are and they'll stay that way well it turns out that the brain is what they call plastic it, which i don't like the term because it reminds me of like a uh, you know, a plastic iPhone case or something like that that's hard and doesn't, doesn't necessarily um, doesn't necessarily mold that much. But the term plastic or plasticity is uh, plasticity refers to the ability to change. You think about plastic in a you know a liquid form, where essentially you get. Um, uh, you know, you essentially the neurons are able to change their connections ever so slightly depending on how they're used. They might, you know, the little tiny synapses might grow in size. They might change in terms of the amount of chemicals that are released, all that kind of stuff. So basically learning is believed to be a very, very subtle transformation of how neurons are interconnected. And even just every day, you know, for example, if something happens to you on the way to work or you 
you know, you, you, you go sit in class and you learn something that is now creating these physical changes in your brain that are a lot of times mediated by this um, uh, chemical called glutamate. You know, that's a glutamate and, you know, it's very important for inducing this whole process. And without it, you know, or we ha if you're under the influence of a drug, for example, that messes up the glutamate system, then your learning is somewhat impaired. So. Is that like kind of putting together some like scaffolding yeah. or something almost yeah. in the brain and yeah. then it can kind of, yeah. know, it's just being rewired? Right, it's ways? basically being rewired and, and um, you know, and, and not everybody completely understands how that works. For example, where is that, where does that happen in the brain? What, and more than likely it's actually, and people used to believe that you know, certain brain regions were involved in storing like episodic memories, memories from your childhood, memories of, various things um that you know there m probably is more evidence now that many areas of the brain are activated by memories and learning so it's kind of rewiring itself all the time but i don't mean to convey that rewiring means like this massive change it's a very subtle um changes in connectivity essentially if you want to Think about it that way, and like it, you're right, it's like a scaffold. There's a little bit of a, a structural element to it, where you know, like, you know, if you want to use an engineering term, like the bolts are getting tighter, or the, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the the the, the scaffolding is getting adjusted very slightly. Uh -huh. So, uh, so it's kind of uh, it's a physical thing. It's also a chemical thing that happens in the brain um, in terms of uh, maybe every time an, uh, a neuron fires a fires a signal that. Uh, now becomes more efficient, and it releases m the same the same type of uh, activity of neurons and releases more neurotransmitter every time it goes, so it becomes more efficient. Or maybe in, in, uh, maybe the the synapses change in such a way that there is a uh, uh, you don't you need less of the neurotransmitter to produce the same effect, so it produces a, a kind of a uh, a change in efficiency so yeah because yeah, yeah. that's uh, all all this learning is 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 just kind of the, the brain figuring out ways to make itself more efficient right uh, you, right. you, you don't want you, your brain doesn't want to go through the cognitive effort of right. of relearning and processing every single step that you're going to take while walking every single time right. and right. relearning i mean we we kind of take it for granted how much of our lives is kind of going through the motion. So right, a right. lot of these habits mm -hmm. or things that we have, are those are great things right. for us. Right, yeah. Every time you get in your car, you don't need to remember how to, you know, make a left-hand turn <laughs> and, and buckle your seatbelt and all that. It's pretty much automatic. But unfortunately, relating it back to addiction, that gal too gets learned to a point where it's essentially almost unconscious. Uh, I, 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 I kind of hate to use that term because... You know, some, like for example, somebody lighting up a cigarette, they might even, they might not put much thought into that at all. Um, now, somebody doing heroin or something probably does pay attention to what they're doing at the time, and and, and but the kind of I guess maybe the seeking out and the ritualistic nature of it just does become kind of a a routine part of the day, you know, for 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 somebody who is an, an addict. So. I remember seeing um, just thinking about the, like non consciously having a cigarette. I was uh, I was in. Montreal Comedy Festival a few years ago and I bring it up because this comedian Henry Phillips he, he's making this new movie and this has ended up this is a scene that he's putting into it which was inspired by this real life thing or well, sitting outside and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette while we had some drinks and everything else mm -hmm. it was pretty late at night right. um, so that was part of a factor where he's sitting there smoking a cigarette and then he has like his pack of cigarettes out and then I watch as he puts the cigarette behind his ear and goes to get another one. He put a lit cigarette <laughs> behind his ear. Right. And then, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah. once it started burning, right. he caught on. But, right. it's like, you know, right. you're, you're just not. And I remember what that. I, I haven't smoked now in four years or wow. something like mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. thankfully. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, but I do remember that just like it, it's, it's sometimes it's. It wasn't even just that, like, oh, I, I need the nicotine. I need. The, it's just the oral fixation. Right, right. It's the you're yeah. just doing something with your hand. You're not yeah. even thinking about right. it at all. And I think that plays into the addiction process too, because that it's not just the substance that you are 
addicted to. It is the behavior that goes along with it. You know, for example, lighting up, like you just said, or, you know, the smell of the alcohol or the, mm. you know, um, things that go along with maybe kind of what they call associative cues, where essentially there are things that are associated with the drug. They become very important too, you know, like, like you did, like the, um, kind of the oral fixation people try to quit smoking a lot of times they need to chew on like toothpicks or something like that to kind of satisfy that behavioral aspect of their addiction more so now that the nicotine or and whatever else is gone they still have a kind of a need for you know it's kind of like when you walk out of your house without your cell phone you kind of like don't know what to do when you get to a red light (laughs) you're kind of like okay i gotta actually gotta sit in one instead of like checking my email or whatever (laughs) oh even if i like put my wallet or my keys or something in a different pocket than what i normally do uh, all it's like there's like that panic something's not the way it's the way that it usually is but that's interesting with the um the various associations which i guess i never Mm -hmm. really thought about it that way because you hear things like um uh and it makes perfect sense but you hear things like um 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 you, you know people will say that cigarettes are more addictive than heroin whatever that means right. and may it may or may not be true but it, uh, let's just say that okay mm-hmm. cigarettes are more addictive than heroin well maybe it, that is part of it it's just like how kind of easy it is and maybe it's just because like a cigarette isn't as harmful or like as right. big of a deal right. as a shot of heroin right. is right and so you don't you don't think about the consequences as much and it just becomes a sad. Whereas like if heroin were mm-hmm. just as simple as uh, buying a pack of them or right, whatever right, else, right. maybe it would. <laughs> yeah. Know. Well, a lot of it turns on the quantity of the drug you have to ingest. Like, for example, like a, uh, a cigarette person who's addicted to cigarettes, you know, they may have to smoke a pack a day or more, which is roughly, what, 20 cigarettes? Um, now, somebody yep. who somebody who's shooting up heroin is hopefully not doing it twenty times a day because right. they're probably going to be dead if they did. But so it's I guess I guess it becomes a factor of how much bang you're getting for your buck, you know, per per time. You know um, yeah. that um, I, I mean this is a little off topic, but it, it's leading me to the same thing. The, this is what's interesting to me is I mean humans have been doing drugs. For a very long yes, time, yes. And, and even primates and mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. there's other species that yep. seem to be doing something that, at the very least, resembles drug-like mm-hmm. behavior oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and self-medicating mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. a lot of interesting and often very clever ways. Right. And then sometimes you can also, I, I think maybe I can try to find a, some video I found of um, of monkeys like getting drunk mm-hmm. at the beach where yeah, on like uh, fermented berries or something e- like that. Well, yeah. no, no, like like they'll go and steal drinks from people oh. at like a vacation <laughs> resort or whatever. Okay. But what's interesting yeah. is they'll they'll look and now I'm getting even more off topic. Mm-hmm. But they'll look at like um, genetic variations mm-hmm. and and some of these monkeys they'll have access to the same amount of drinks or whatever. And and some of them. <laughs> they yeah. they get hammered and lay around all day and and they'll like they'll get violent and like try to steal and go after it some of them some of them will just they'll have it one time never touch the stuff again and right. some of them yeah. are like casual drinkers right. they yeah. they go and, yeah. so it's interesting those individual differences even even in, even um, in animals yeah. primates but but where i was going with that was i mean we've been humans have been like chewing on like cocoa leaves right. and stuff like right. that for a very yeah. long time. Right. But now, mu- much in the same way that we, uh, you know, de- developed this, um, you know, our, our ancestors had, um, were, were drawn to uh, really seek out sugar because, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't come across berries all that often. Yeah. And when you did, that was a real good find. Well, right. now we have chocolate cake (laughs) everything that you can eat every single day if you if you are so inclined right and the drugs kind of the same thing has happened where where we've um we're we're making these super stimulated like Mm -hmm. uh uh, um you know now morphine is Mm -hmm. just like you know we have natural endorphins from exercising and stuff that morphine's a super stimulated right right um thing yeah absolutely and i I always been fascinated by the the animal kingdom 
addiction population where you got, you know, I think there's in Africa, there's some elephants that get routinely get drunk on some berries or something. Really? And they just, yeah, they get all crazy and falling down. And, How many berries uh, does an uh, elephant need to know. eat to catch yeah. a buzz? And there's some sort of creature that goes and steals uh, from the opium fields. You know, they go and they go and forage uh. into the opium poppies and then. You have to kind of like shoot them away. <laughs> it's 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 very it's fascinating that that is you know, fascinating. That, you know, they, I mean, they don't have well jobs to lose and stuff like right. that. But you know, it's still it's it's kind of like there is this kind of almost like a we'll call it human nature, but you know, a, a, a ability to kind of or this willingness to seek out a kind of a chemical pleasure almost. You know, well, it's <laughs> not only that, yeah. but it's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of animals. I wish I could think of a specific example off the top of my head that will um, will come down with something, um, a, a particular illness or whatever it might be, and they figure out they they, they have just evolution shaped them to naturally be drawn to go and find some various route or something yeah. like that when yes. they are affected right. by right. some certain. So, I mean, maybe part of the pleasure thing is also <laughs> um, self-medicating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. self-medicating. Yeah. Like, who knows? I, I mean, right. it seems like other species show signs of depression and mm-hmm. certainly anxiety and right. fear and right. stuff like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I don't know how much they they self medicate, but I I, I, d- I definitely know there are ones that will seek it out mostly probably for pleasurable purposes. But right. there are other ones that um, you know maybe they uh, you know maybe uh, they, it does probably doesn't take them long to figure out that you know ow I've you know I've I've sprained my tail. You know I need to go go into that opium poppy field <laughs> and nibble <laughs> on a few plants and I'll be good. You know I mean animals aren't stupid; they can figure that kind of stuff out pretty quickly. So yeah. yeah. And where does where does tolerance factor into yeah. all of this? Because um, you can build a tolerance without necessarily like ruining your life right. or having right. a, what would even be considered an addiction. Right. Um, right. But I, I suppose there's kind of a Venn diagram. Right. Um, yeah. With some overlap there. Yeah. Well, presumably, when anybody who takes somebody, anybody who tell you takes a substance repeatedly will develop tolerance to those effects. And therefore that one is one thing that actually drives their repeated, you know, desire to use again is to, uh, you know, not only do they seek the drug out, but they actually need more to get the same effect. So that actually can lead to the cascade and spiral of, of addiction where you get uh, people who, um, especially things like uh, the narcotics and even alcohol, for that matter, people become tolerant to the effects of alcohol, and you know they used to take them three or four drinks to go have a good time. Now, and after you know a couple months of heavy drinking, it now takes them uh, eight or nine drinks to have the same. Effect. And if you're like a college guy, yeah. this is like this is often, or certainly when I was, around, I didn't go to college, yeah. but when I was college age, I, I would still go to the frat parties. Right. Um, right. I, I mean, this is this is something. This is a, a a big source of pride for a lot of guys out there is right. to like build up that tolerance right. and show right. off how right. many. Right. I used to do beer bongs and right. just like the right. most ridiculous. Yeah. So and embarrassing. You got made, and you got made fun of if you were a lightweight. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. And you took you one or two wine coolers. And, and it Which was, that's you know, uh, <laughs> like, and now it's like, well, low tolerance, that's fantastic. Oh, it's yeah. so cheap to catch a buzz right. if you have exactly. a low tolerance. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's one of the things about... Um, you know, the repeated use, your body, I mean, as with any substance, your body adapts, you know, to taking in a substance and, uh, you know, your cells react and, and then they kind of create this res- resistance to it. Again, I mean, it's just like taking too much of an antibiotic, you become, becomes resistant to the ability to kill off uh, bacteria and things like that. So uh, taking it too often. So I think right. that's where, you know, the tolerance definitely leads, you know, it's definitely a contributing factor to the addiction process um and especially with things like alcohol and uh, narcotics uh, you know people take them for pain relief you know then they find that the same 10 milligram dose of morphine doesn't work for them so they go try and get more and more and then that leads to kind of the i mean i broke both my feet last may and and, uh, i'm just now finally starting to almost recover from it and Mm -hmm. uh, i had another surgery in january Mm -hmm. and um and so uh you know, it was like the first month I took painkillers and then mm-hmm. I was off them for a while. And then when I had mm-hmm. the second surgery, I had them again. 
I actually just took my last uh, my last three painkillers oh. in existence uh, okay. today. Um, but I, it's not, I, I don't need to take them every day. It's just some days I wake up yeah. and I can barely yeah. walk on my foot. Right. Um, but, um, uh, but it, it was, um, it was interesting to, uh, to see the difference in just, uh, you know, a week's time, two weeks time, mm-hmm. all of a sudden what one or two was doing. And this is like my foot was even getting better, too. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't as much pain to manage, right. but I was still needing more right. painkillers. Right. It's pretty quick how how much that took effect. Yeah. I never felt like a withdrawal or right. any like right. I didn't feel like I was addicted. I suppose a lot of people don't feel like they're addicted and no. they get themselves right. addicted yeah. is the real danger. Right, right, exactly. Um, so. But it's interesting how yeah. quickly you yeah. can build that mm-hmm. tolerance. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're taking them daily. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, for example, you right now, you probably don't need to take them every day. I every like once a week, twice yeah, a week is, yeah. a, is about what I end up having to take yeah. them for at the most, which yeah. now it's like I'm basically I'm off of them now. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I think about somebody who's in excruciating pain who's had, for example, knee replacement surgeries and yeah. needs them every four hours. Yeah, that's going to. You know, it's going to be hard to take a break from those for a few days. And, yeah, you know, and and when you're in that much pain too, yeah, there's yeah. nothing fun about those no. things. Like I, I took some like recreationally. Like okay, well, I still have this bottle left. I don't think I'm going to need them anymore. Right. I'll, I'll have a couple <laughs> with my buddy. Obviously, I'm not. You're not condoning this, and I'm not either. <laughs> but I'm just yeah. I'm just being honest about yeah. it. But the difference between taking something mm-hmm. for its purpose right. and taking something to yes. get high yes. is a whole nother oh, yeah. deal yeah. as well. Yeah. You can basically, I mean, when you're in pain and you're taking painkillers to mm-hmm. relieve pain, mm-hmm. you're not going to run into near as much trouble, right. even if it's a very long time, mm-hmm. as opposed to if you're just taking some for fun. Right. And you don't yeah. need what it they for. call non-medical use of, right. of, of things. And that's actually a big issue now high school you know college kids where you know they may act somebody you know might you know break a foot or something like that and then they end up having too many vicodins and then therefore they sell them to their friends yeah um they do that with a lot of the the ritalins and the adderalls you know they say hey i got some extra i have adhd but i sort of do sort of don't and i got some extra pills if you need to stay up all night i'll give you some pills you know and um you know various various you know kinds of things like that but prescription drugs are being kind of peddled to people who aren't obviously supposed to be getting them and they right. and of course there's all sorts of ways they're trying to what is real that's <laughs> that's a drug i've never done believe uh, okay. it or not. Yeah. of all the drugs yeah. i like what 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 uh what's happening with ritalin is yeah. it is it an upper is it just like it's speed, a stimulant basically? yeah it's a stimulant just adderall is a mixture of adderall is different it's a mixture of amphetamines milder amphetamines not methamphetamine but milder amphetamines uh uh, Ritalin is a different one called methylphenidate, which I'm not sure exactly everybody quite knows exactly how it works, but it is a a, a stimulant. It, it it is a mild stimulant. I mean, compare mild. I mean, compared to cocaine or meth or something like that, mm. but stronger than caffeine, for example. So, uh, and that's one of the great ironies of of ADHD is you're essentially giving stimulants to hyperactive people, which seems to be somewhat, somewhat counterintuitive. Why would you want to give somebody who can't pay attention and is hyperactive a stimulant medication and one of the prevailing theories is that their brain is actually underactive and they are actually the reason that they act out and do or are hyperactive is because they're trying to self-stimulate their brain back to an optimal level so it's kind of uh, like how my oh, brain's not working right now yeah i'm trying to you know if i if i get up and you know distract myself go go wander down the hall that kind of like stimulates my brain a little bit so oh. when they take the medication that kind of already stimulates their brain oh yeah. that's so interesting yeah because uh, having uh having uh, d- done cocaine or mm-hmm. i think the last time it was 4 years ago right. i did it like once a year right. for like right. 6 years or something whatever maybe longer than that anyway um but the experience of that stimulus mm-hmm. was definitely not focused. You're all over the place. Right. I mean, you can't even stay on track. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was such a ridiculous yeah. drug. You'd call someone to get it for you and then they'd go and get it and they'd do like a little bump along the way. And next right. thing 
you know, they just did all the cocaine that they're right. trying to get for you. Right, <laughs> right, right. A yeah. hell of a drug. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's amazing that, you know, the people with ADHD are able to take stimulants and then function normally. So that kind of mm. tells you that there may be something in their brains that's not quite optimal and then taking a stimulant kind of bumps them up. That is really interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of skepticism out there. Oh, yeah. With yeah. the ADHD Well, and stuff. I think it's very easy to... Well, it's obviously probably overly diagnosed, mm. o- overly prescribed for, um, and all sorts of problems, and that's why people end up saying, well, I don't really need it. That's why I'm selling my extra, you know, Ritalin to my friends, you know. But, um, but there are definitely some people who are bona fide ADHD, and, you know, they, they need the medication. So it's... Uh, but, and again, <laughs> it's a whole new can of worms is, is essentially a lot of times they're... You know, it usually comes on in, you know, late childhood before adolescence. You know, these little, you know, third graders jumping around and, oh, let's give them stimulants. You know, there's a great idea. And then <laughs> right. you don't know what it's doing to their developing brain and, and their bodies. And, and so that's, you know, yet to be seen whether or not it causes any kind of permanent alteration. But, hmm. you know. Well, often, you'd think it would be doing some. It's yeah. got to be bumping that scaffolding in there yeah, a little bit yeah. in one way or yeah. another. I guess the big concern is it doesn't make them more susceptible to other drug problems later in life because you're kind of priming their brains with the drug as they're oh, developing. I see. So does that actually lead to perhaps addictive behaviors down the line? And I don't think that's, I don't think they I mean, there's not enough long-term studies to show that is true yet <laughs> so i have this and i feel bad because we haven't really even gotten into your work okay, specifically right. yet but i've just we've never mm-hmm. talked about drugs on the yeah. show before so okay. i'm i'm just delighted right yeah. now yeah. but um so i i have kind of a rule of thumb that helped mm-hmm. me kick all of my habits uh-huh. and everything which was i basically just don't trust anything that feels good right (laughs) Right. feels really good anyway i'm very skeptical of anything that feels really good and uh, that that being said there is a drug psychedelics that people take and it doesn't necessarily make you feel like pleasure right like uh, a lot of times you're just like kind of makes you see things differently or you're learning about yourself or something like that right and um and something it doesn't seemed to me that there's people that are like eating mushrooms every day or right. anything like that. So right. is that, I mean, this, I mean, I don't know if you know anything about psychedelics well, or anything, but is there any addictive properties or it's, what's it's, they probably, it's very interesting to bring that up because you know, the federal, the, the drug enforcement administration has a way of scheduling different drugs. You know, some drugs are schedule one, which means they have no medical value and they are the most harmful or potentially addictive. And then schedule two, schedule three, schedule four, you know, they have, you know, slightly more medical value and supposedly less addictive potential. But currently on the federal level, what is classified as schedule one is marijuana. So mm. it's schedule, it's, basically says there's no medical value, even though some states are now changing that. Right. Um, and psychedelics are largely uh, Schedule One substance. But they, yes, there are people who have taken them for long periods of time, but I, I, people are, n- there's no real, there's not a big abuse potential, addiction potential, I guess I should say. You know, they're really, the people don't become really that hooked on LSD nearly to the degree they get with, cocaine or morphine right. or something like that so and uh, i mean i've even heard i mean you hear stories of mm-hmm. of it being used as even a possible treatment yes um, yeah i don't know how well studied as is in like the actual scientific community and it's my yeah. understanding that it's not the easiest thing to get uh it, you know the approval, the for? approval yeah. to, to study and <laughs> right. and everything. Um, yeah, I know in my experience. Uh, I mean, uh, we aren't supposed to condone, but of mm-hmm. all the, of all the things, and I hate like every drug I've ever put on my body mm-hmm. except um, psychedelics. I feel like they just like really. Um, yeah changed the way that i looked at things yeah, a lot yeah i'm i bet i wouldn't be doing this podcast right. if it weren't for psychedelics right, right. i bet i wouldn't have been able to quit smoking cigarettes and drinking yeah, and, yeah. and it's just something i do like once a year right and yeah. um yeah. yeah it's i mean it's something that is very unlikely to produce some sort of dependence or a- addiction um unfortunately it does cause you know some adverse mental reactions you know psychosis in some people right. only bad trips things like that um, but by and large, I mean, I think there's a resurgence now 
Uh, it used to be big in the 70s where people were giving you know, ecstasy and you know, mushrooms and stuff for type of therapy. Um, and that pretty much got, went away for a while. And now, I mean, I guess it's, it's crept up back in Europe and maybe in a little bit in the United States where people are looking at psilocybin, which is the main, main mm-hmm. component of mushrooms, uh, ecstasy, MDMA, which for um, you know, certain types of therapy. And it, you know, for, by and large, a lot of people report that these are life-changing experiences that they it, under... Now, I, and I guess the main... Well, you're dealing with multiple problems. One is that on a federal level, these are no-no drugs. You know, essentially right. not allowed to do that. Um, but also, uh, you know, under a controlled setting, they might actually have some beneficial effects. Uh, just just like marijuana, for example, might have some good medical uh, effects. Um, you know, it's 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 hard to say because they've been kind of uh, demonized. I guess um, you know. You know, I would I would probably go out on a limb and say that you know something like Vicodin is more addictive than some of these drugs. Yet it's more widely prescribed, right? Um, for pain and for other you know other reasons. But but you can't prescribe psilocybin for some sort of anxiety or other type of thing. And I think the fact one of the things that they found with people who are in end stage uh, cancer, terminally ill, yeah, yeah, terminally ill, is that they have take a psilocybin, and that's one of the most meaningful experiences of their life is that the, whatever they experience while under the drug, they... Yeah, um, I know what they experience, yeah, yeah. so we don't have time to talk no, about no, it. No, no, um, but, uh, blog about it or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but, it, well, it's just so interesting because, I mean, and we could talk about the differences of mm-hmm. every drug all, all day. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would love to know... Maybe we'll just do this again sometime. Yeah. Um, Part two. Be, yeah. uh, uh, that would be great if you're down for it. Yeah. Um, because I would, I would love to know like the difference between you know, like I said, I was like, I did cocaine. I was like, mm-hmm. from what I can remember of it, it was just like I talked too much. Mm-hmm. Thought, had way too much confidence, yeah. and then the next day woke up like, "What the hell was I thinking?" Yeah, there. Yeah, right. Uh, but then there's uh, like, you know, I had um, oxycodones mm-hmm. for um, uh, for the painkillers, and those would make me feel like a a sense of love. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is it is it closely connected to oxytocin, or, uh, or no, is it a no, totally different chemical? Yeah. It just happens to right. because it was weird. Like, I would want to like call up everyone that I cared about right. and tell them how much they meant to me right, and right. stuff. And well, I think there's so many individual differences in people, right. and that's why it's such a it's it's hard to study and to treat as a problem because you know. For some people, cigarettes may be the worst thing in the world in terms of quitting, and then other people it might be cocaine, and they have no trouble quitting right. uh, cigarettes. Um, and the experiences you have while under these are also highly variable. I mean, you know, for example, if you have a bad trip on LSD and you take it again, hoping for a better trip, eh, you might actually have another bad trip in yeah. there. But you know, some like like you said, you know, some people who take. Um, like the narcotics, uh, like like Vicodin and, and oxycodone, is they have vastly different. Some people can't stand it; makes them too loopy, makes them itchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my aunt has actually just had undergone uh, knee replacement surgery, and she she's in dire pain, but she can't take too much of the the oxycodone because it just makes her feel terrible, uh, yeah. nauseous sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, some but other, I would get dizzy yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And but other people think, oh, this is great. You know, this is like a fantastic floating type of uh, mm-hmm. experience. So it's kind of, there's so many wide reactions to different drugs. It, and, uh, and what's psilocybin doing? Because it's, it's like, it's so different than yeah. any of It's like, right. it's a whole nother class right. of its own. It's yeah. like not, not even, like I said, it doesn't even feel Good. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. So a lot of the hallucinogens act on the um, what's called serotonin. The serotonin is a neurotransmitter in the brain that deals with mood regulation, and it turns out that a lot of the really potent uh, psychedelics activate the little receptors for serotonin, mm. and they're very specific and potent, actually. Um, now another drug that acts on that is like Prozac. You know, it actually indirectly, you know, in a very, very general sense, actually tends to kind of indirectly activate those receptors. But um, so it didn't, it's supposed to make you feel good. But then again, it takes three to four weeks of taking the pill before you actually start to feel better (laughs) if you're depressed. But uh, psychedelics, on the other hand, are um, very, very potent drugs at stimulating those receptors. And 
they don't really that as much stimulate the whole going back to the whole dopamine story it doesn't i mean it probably does to a certain degree but it doesn't actually you know i think the pleasure comes from the experiences you have under psychedelics rather than the chemical effects of the drug itself if that makes any sense like for example a you know, cocaine might boost, you know, these gigantic levels of neurotransmitters in your brain, and therefore that's why you have this euphoria and pleasure. Psychedelics, I think people find beneficial, rewarding, whatever you want to call it, um, because of the subjective experience you have under that, not so much because of the chemical changes it's producing. Does that right. make, make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So absolutely. Like, uh, like I'll, I'll have, like, takeaways. Yeah. Pro- right. Like, like um, sometimes it'll be, like, this emotional kind of roller coaster right. almost, and, yeah. and everything will seem, like, very meaningful and very profound, and this is so important, mm-hmm. and then you wake up the next day, and it's like, oh, well, a lot of those ideas weren't as profound as Im- and as right. important as yeah. I thought they were at the time but um but then it also made me realize like well that's a metaphor for a lot of the things in in my in my life and and also just knowing that that not your moods aren't always caused by some external thing Mm -hmm. in the world like Mm -hmm. oh i'm unhappy or i'm happy because i got this like money or something something like that sometimes it's just a simple chemical reaction Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mushrooms really because it's like one moment you're uh in love with yourself the next moment you hate yourself yeah and um and nothing happened like in the Mm -hmm. external world Mm -hmm. it was just simply chemical reactions in the brain Mm -hmm. and and that Mm -hmm. that's been like that's made me a lot more mindful right um in general um but i mean obviously people have to be very very careful especially it's not something that i would ever ever and i wish they would be studied and and everything else but i would never recommend someone just like get a bag of mushrooms and try without knowing what they're doing without having anyone around and even hopefully they'll just be able to study it eventually and there'll be a controlled like it'll be i i would love for to see it as a as a therapeutic aid yeah, right. one day. Because right. it's not, a lot of young people think it's like a party drug right. or something like right. that. You're yeah. going to get yourself into a lot of trouble right. because yeah. it's not. Yeah, and that, and that we haven't talked about that much, but that's the one, I mean, a big reason people have a, think that these should be legalized and federally regulated is for the quality control. Because, you know, you bag a, a buy a bag of, you know, dried mushrooms. Oh. I mean, they could be... For no some, idea. Yeah, no idea what it is. And it's even worse for, um, you know, things like heroin, cocaine, where it's essentially you know, a white powder or an off-white powder. I mean, you, you have no idea what it is. But 90% of the chemicals in the world are, are white powders at some point <laughs> at some point in their lives. So it's right, kind of... Uh, interesting. Um, you, you never know what you're getting. And, and you, I don't know if you've heard of this drug called crocodile. No. Uh, it is a it's synthetic uh, heroin substitute that causes... It's called the flesh-eating drug... Where essentially people are are very desperate for heroin, they they resort to this, they inject it, and it causes a gangrene reaction and causes flesh to rot and things like that. What? Yeah, it's horrible. And the reason it does that is not the drug itself, but what it's mixed with. It's mixed with uh, kerosene and and you know ether oh and things God. like that. So the way they make the drug is very very toxic, and that's why you know like meth mouth for example. Oh, meth, okay. meth mouth is you know the deterioration of the teeth for a variety of reasons, but some of it's the you know, they they convert pseudoephedrine into methamphetamine and using all sorts of chemicals that are not necessarily good for you. It's not the actual <laughs> act of drug no. that's uh, destroying your right, teeth. It's right. the other stuff. It's oh, all that's other interesting. Stuff. I mean, yeah, it's like they got to They got to They use like what is it? Red phosphorus, which is from mat- match heads. You know, little little red matches powder. Um, they use like hydrochloric acid. They use. Uh, uh, ammonium nitrate, you know, things like that, just to convert this one little molecule to another, and there, boom, you got meth. But there's still traces of that stuff in there. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> this is like uh, part of the thing. And and going back to something like Prozac is yeah. is I, I mean, your job it seems so interesting and everything, but I I don't envy the the. Uh, the, what a task it, it is to try to even get a clue of what's going on in right, the brain. Right. Because you take something like Prozac, and it's my understanding that that we we don't really know exactly what it's doing. Right. We we don't know if it's stimulating something mm-hmm. or inhibiting right. something. Right. And and and, and what, it takes weeks to happen, you uh, know, to produce the effect. 
the big push now is for these rapid, they call rapid antidepressants, where the effects are felt within hours rather than weeks. Oh. I mean, when you're clinically... I never... That's a thing? Yeah, they found that with ketamine, which is a actually a veterinary anesthetic. Yeah. causes massive hallucinations. But in, in, <laughs> in lower doses, it produces a very rapid antidepressant response. And that is a potentially a new class of... You know, when you have somebody who's clinically depressed and perhaps suicidal, you don't want to give them a pill and have them three weeks later, you know, hopefully still be alive and... <laughs> And you right. started to see the beneficial effects. So you would really like to have a, a faster acting antidepressant. So I see. And that's and so going back to Prozac, we know what it's doing pharmacologically, but how that actually translates into reducing depression is somehow related to scaffolding changes or, or protein changes, things like that at a much longer term than just like the pill having an effect. So right. And I've and I've heard there's trouble too with like a, a lot of times antidepressants would be would be just um, tested on on men because it's easier because yes. you're not having to deal with these ovulatory yeah. cycles that right. can fudge all your data for you. Right. Uh, that right. makes your job harder. Yeah. So let's just yeah. get the, these, uh, you yeah. know, a, a bunch of men. Right. And, but but a female, how females' brain is processing right. depression oh, yeah. is uh, yeah. is a completely and they're more prone to it too. So that's uh, I mean, then about two to one, you know, depression probably hits women more. So um, it's uh, yeah, and then when you study, you know, a lot of people study, you know, research animals, and you know, the, for example, the menstrual cycle of a rat is f- four days. So, you know, mm. how'd you like to be dealing with that on a weekly basis? You know, in terms yeah. of, so it's but got, that's something that you must you have to do, right? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah theoretically, yeah. I mean, people, there is a big push now with the National Institute of Health to most people have done ninety percent of the research on male subjects, whether they're monkeys or rodents or or whatever, um, because there is more stability in the results um and but they've been ignoring the the female aspect of it for so long now the nih is really pushing us towards uh you need to do both you need to see mm-hmm. if there's actually gender differences sex differences in your in your research because you've been overlooking it for so long that's right yeah that it, seems very important yeah <laughs> it is and it's been something that's been just like i don't know it's just been like so many gender inequalities that's been just kind of overlooked for so long you know and hmm. people have been pushing for it and now finally somebody listened so <laughs> that's yeah. step in the right direction yeah. so i have to apologize yeah. for you, to you for not yeah. really getting to specifically any of we'll, your work we'll do that next but, time yeah, yeah okay. I, I hope so yeah. i would, I would yeah. love to do a part two with you yeah. i think this is kind of pretty necessary to set up a sort yeah. of a 101 yeah. of, of what's going on right. and then we can expand on right on everything next time and then we can dive a little deeper yeah. and everything yeah. too yeah. now that yeah, that's a good idea because yeah it, it's I spend the first couple of weeks of my classes reviewing, you know, how the brain works and how neurons work before I actually get into the whole material of what, what drugs are actually doing. So you kind of you can't dive into this stuff, you know, firsthand. Just like if I were to go learn about, you know, how to how to how to fix a computer virus, I would not not be able to do it right away, you know, because I understand it everything. Right, you right, know, so. of course, or like physics or any yeah. other thing that isn't your field. Right. Well, um, it, thank you so much for joining me. What yeah. is your uh, charity of the week that you'd like to plug? Charity of the week, I would have to, um, uh, nothing related to addiction per se, but uh, the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. I lost my father two years ago to multiple myeloma, which is a form of uh, bone marrow cancer. and um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. And uh, my dad was a big influence on my life, and uh, um, it's, a, it's a disease without a cure right now. So, what is it? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cancer that affects generally men in their, not, not only men, but um, affects people generally over the age of 60 that causes their, um, their bone marrow cells to basically multiply and multiply and multiply and it wrecks the inside of their bones and then what's in their bone marrow now spills out into their bloodstream and clogs up the kidneys and it's uh, Tom Brokaw actually has the same form of cancer right now he's battling it and there there are therapeutics out there that um, uh, are good for prolonging uh, the lives of people but they cannot become cured of it I mean as mm-hmm. with most cancers so um, Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation actually really is good about facilitating the uh, clinical trials and you know raising money for new therapeutics that you know maybe not actually uh, wouldn't ordinarily become available as quickly. Um, and you know it's a 
It's a terminal disease that lasts generally the lifespan of about three to five years after being diagnosed. So you don't have a whole lot of time to you know, wait for new therapies to come around. So. Um, well, that, mm-hmm. uh, that sounds like a terrific organization. And listeners can, as always, go to the herewearepodcast.com. And in um, Foster Olive's uh, episode there, there will be a, uh, a quick link to the multiple Myeloma, Myeloma Foundation. Research Foundation. Research M- Foundation. MMRF, right. And, um, and you can learn more about that and donate and get involved, of course. Um, and uh, thank you, Foster. Well, thank you for joining me. This yeah. is a, this is a blast. Yeah, and we'll, we'll catch up more next time. Absolutely, uh, more, more to come. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Next week on the program, I stop through UT Austin to talk with James Pennebaker about his book, The Secret Life of Pronouns. This is a friend recommended him. Um, I'm I'm not a big word guy. You may have noticed from my severe, uh, severely limited vocabulary, but uh, uh, so I, I saw the word pronouns and my brain shut off. I thought, not interested. And then I started reading it and my mind was completely blown away. There, it's, it talks about how you know pronouns like I, you, they, articles, a, and the prepositions two of four auxiliary verbs is, am, have, all these nothing words that are like invisible. If you follow me on Twitter at Shane Comedy, you may notice I have a, a grammatical error from time to time. It's usually these these function words that um, that are almost invisible to us. We don't really think about them, and they make up 99% of how we communicate. And he he plugs uh, all these various things into um, different algorithms, and he can tell how how these words can predict how, um, how tweets and Facebook posts uh, uh, tell certain things about the author's personality, um, how... Um, why lying to others and to ourselves causes us to talk differently and um, how uh, we, we t- use different pronouns when we're, when we're confident, when we're depressed, when we're at different states and, and, um, and just absolutely really, really cool, uh, interesting stuff and a great communicator and really funny guy to just an absolute treat to talk to. So make sure and tune into that next Monday. Thank you very much. I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. (laughs) That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons... It's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a I don't know what you want from me. And, uh, my, and my, my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a bat. I help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my <laughs> <laughs>